1: Orland Park Christian Reformed Church welcomes you to worship with us this Sunday as we gather to worship and hear the Word of God proclaimed. You can learn more about our church at groundedandgrowingradio.com.
2: We come to the message for this evening. I will be preaching on three specific texts, three larger texts in particular. And again if you're visiting with us One of the things that I've been doing in the evening Is been answering questions Difficult questions that have been posed by members of the congregation So here's the question for this evening Did Jesus have free will separate from his father's will? He says not my will but your will What do you think? Here are our texts for this particular evening. The first one that I want to read to you is from John chapter 1, the gospel of John chapter 1, and all of these, I believe, are going to be on the screen for us, Um, so you can turn there with me if you'd like. These will also be on the screen. Yes, here it is. I'm going to read John chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, and verse 14. And then I'm going to read Hebrews chapter 2, 14 to 18, and Luke 22, 39 to 42. All of these will be on the screen for us. So here's John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. That's John 1. I'm also going to read to us from Hebrews two fourteen to 18. He had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. That's Hebrews chapter 2, 14 through 18. And then... Luke, chapter 22, verses 39 to 42. And he came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives. And the disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing Remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours, be done. Let's pray together. Father, as we consider these three sections of Scripture, we pray that they would help us to understand more about who Jesus Christ is. And by understanding, we pray that we might believe And in believing, we pray that we might worship. And by worshiping, we pray that we might live for you. We pray that if anything that I say doesn't come from you, that you'd make it fall to the ground and pass away and be forgotten. And we pray that everything that is from you, that it would help us to understand the incredible, profound, deep, wondrous mystery of God becoming man, true God and true man. We pray this. In Jesus' name, amen. So after reading those three texts, maybe you now know the answer. Did Jesus have a free will separate from his Father's will? Well, I would just like for you to think about what you think the answer is in your own head, and then we can talk after the service this evening. You can tell me if you were right or if you were wrong or somewhere in between, all right? That sounds good to me. All right. To answer the question, we should review what the Bible says about Jesus. And so tonight, we're going to look into some deep stuff. And I hope that you are eager to go there with me because this is some of my favorite stuff to dig into. To think deeply about who Jesus is. To think very deeply about who it is that the Bible says our Savior is. And so I hope and I pray that this will be a benefit And I hope and I pray that this will be an opportunity to get to know Jesus a little bit more and to rejoice in the mystery of God becoming man. So to answer this question of did Jesus have free will separate from his Father's will, we should review what the Bible says about Jesus. We're going to be reviewing the theological term is Christology, the study of Jesus, the Christ. The Bible tells us something all throughout That is summed up very effectively and efficiently in John chapter 1. John chapter 1 begins by telling us that Jesus is God. Jesus Christ is God. Take a look again at John chapter 1. And if we could pull that back up on the screen, that would be great. Thank you so much. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. So who is the Word that's being referenced in John chapter 1? Well, the Word is Jesus. And so John chapter 1 tells us that the Word, that's Jesus, has been from the beginning. And in fact, before the beginning, Jesus was. Jesus is the Word. And then John 1 goes on, "'In the beginning was the Word, "'so Jesus was there at the very beginning.'" And the Word was with God. So before the beginning happened, Jesus was there along with God the Father. The Word, Jesus, was with God the Father. But then the verse continues on by telling us something amazing. Not only was Jesus with God the Father, but Jesus was God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The word Jesus was not simply with God, but was God. And then it goes on to explain how it is that Jesus is God. All things were made through him. That means that Jesus is God. Jesus is the one who has created all things. Jesus is the word through which the Father spoke and all things came to be. In the book of Genesis, we're told that God spoke and that the word of God created all things. We find out in John chapter 1, we see the authoritative interpretation of Genesis chapter 1. Jesus is this divine word that created all things. Everything came to be because Jesus made it. Therefore, John chapter 1 makes it entirely clear that Jesus Christ is God, But John chapter 1 doesn't stop there, because then, in one of, the, one of the more astounding, astounding verses in Scripture, having been convinced that the Word, that this Word is God, we're told something amazing in verse 14. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus is God. Jesus became a human like us.
1: Today's message on Grounded and Growing in Christ will continue in just a moment. To learn more about Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, to listen to other messages from our audio ministry, or to make a financial gift of any amount, please visit groundedandgrowingradio.com. That's Radio.com. This audio ministry is made possible by gifts from listeners like yourself and we greatly appreciate all those of you who continue to make it possible to share this work with listeners across Chicagoland. Now let's return to today's message.
2: All throughout the Bible, we have testimony to this very thing. First, that Jesus is God. And so let me try to walk through different sections of Scripture to show to us that Jesus is God. God Isaiah 9-6 is often quoted about the coming of the Lord Jesus. You probably remember it. For unto us a child was born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called... What are the things that he's going to be called? Wonderful. Counselor. Mighty God. Everlasting Father. Prince of Peace. This child that's going to be coming is going to be called... Mighty God. Jesus Christ is God. And then Matthew chapter 1, verse 23. Here, I'm just going to run through some verses with us that talk about how Jesus is God. Matthew 1, 23. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Jesus is born, and he's given the name God with us. Us. Why? Because Jesus is God, and so He is with us. John chapter 8, verse 24. Jesus recognized and realized that He was God. He tells them in John 8, 24, Most assuredly I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Now, you might remember that when Moses heard from the Lord God and, w- and the Lord God was speaking to Moses in the burning bush, he asked God, he said, what, who shall I say sent me to the Israelites? If they ask me your name, what shall I say is your name? And he said, my name is I am that I am. This phrase, I am, this is something that signals this is God speaking. And so Jesus says, He even confuses the way that the language would commonly go, and you can get it in the text, I say to you, before Abraham was, he doesn't say I was, he says before Abraham was, I am. Jesus is claiming to be God. Jesus knows that he is God. And then John 20, verse 28, his disciples recognized that Jesus was God. When Thomas sees the resurrected Jesus, And Jesus appears to him and demonstrates the fact that he has risen from the dead. Thomas looks at him. Thomas answers and says to him, my Lord and my God, my Lord and my God. His disciples recognized who he was and recognized that Jesus is God. And then Titus chapter 2, verses 11 and following, says this, "...for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearance, appearing of the glory of our great God." and savior jesus christ who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are jealous for good works jesus is god and this is the constant, repeated phrase about who Jesus is throughout the Old Testament and New Testament, in the Gospels and in the Epistles, in the book of Revelation. All of the different genres and types of the Bible testify to the fact that Jesus Christ is God. So, did Jesus have a will independent from his Father's will? Well, let's continue, because John chapter 1 makes it clear that Jesus is God, and then Jesus, as God, becomes a human. The Word becomes flesh. The Word became flesh. And this truth is testified to as well in various parts of Scripture. Philippians 2 testifies to the fact that Jesus is God, and then also says to us what John chapter 1 says, that he became human, that he became a human being. Here's Philippians 2. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. God, Jesus Christ, became a human being. And if you're wondering what kind of human being, this is where Hebrews chapter two, 14 to 18, which we read at the very beginning of our message, this is where Hebrews is extremely helpful for us. Because it tells us that Jesus is a human being just like you or me. Let me read Hebrews 2:14 to 18 again. To make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Verse 17 in particular, pay attention to. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect. So that he might become merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God. To make propitiation for the sins of the people. Hebrews chapter 4 picks up this same language and says the only difference between Jesus and his humanity and us in our humanity is we sin and Jesus never did. Everything else is the same. Jesus, therefore, is truly human and truly God. So what does that mean? Well, it means that Jesus has everything associated with being God and everything associated with being human. Even a human will, meaning that Jesus had a truly divine will and a truly human will. Jesus had both a truly divine will and a truly human will. That is why we can hear Jesus pray, "Not my will, but your will be done." This is from uh, this is from a writer in the. Uh, Twin Cities area. talks about the way that Jesus is truly human. Jesus has a truly human body. The New Testament is clear enough that Jesus has a human body. John 1 verse 14 means this at least and more. The word became flesh. His humanity became one of the first tenets of true faith. In First John four verse two, in Second John seven, he was born. Luke two seven. He grew. Luke two forty. He grew tired. John four six. He got thirsty. John sixteen twenty eight. He got hungry. Matthew four two. He became physically weak. Matthew four eleven and Luke twenty three twenty six. He died. Luke twenty three forty six. And he had a real human body after his resurrection. Not only did Jesus have a truly human body, he had truly human emotions or a truly human heart. He says in Matthew 26, verse 38, that his soul is very sorrowful even to death. In John eleven, thirty-three to 35, Jesus is deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. Jesus even weeps. John 13, 21, he says he's troubled in spirit. The author in Hebrews writes in Hebrews 5 that Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears. John Calvin has a very memorable quotation. He says, Christ has put on our feelings along with our flesh. Jesus had truly a human body, truly human emotions. He has, tr- he has truly a human mind. Here, the waters get even deeper. Jesus has a human mind. We have only ever experienced one mind, and we can't fathom what it must mean for one person to have both a human mind and a divine mind. But two key texts point us to this mind-boggling truth. Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. That's what Luke 2, 52 says. Or how about this one? Mark 13, 32. Concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. The mature and carefully formulated answer to how it can be that Jesus would have a divine mind and a human mind is this. In addition to be f- being fully divine, Jesus is fully human. His one person has both an infinite divine mind and a finite human mind. He can be said not to know things because he is genuinely human and finite, and human minds are not omniscient. And Jesus can also be said to know all things, as John twenty-one seventeen says, because he is divine and infinite in his knowledge. Paradoxical as it is, the scriptures plainly affirm that Jesus both knows all things as God and doesn't know all things as man. For this unique, two-natured, singular person of Christ, this is no contradiction but a peculiar glory of the God-man. But it gets deeper still the reality of a divine and human Christ stretches our comprehension even further. This is maybe the trickiest of all, but Jesus not only has a divine will, but also a human will. We affirm two wills in Christ, one divine and one human. Jesus has an infinite divine will that is the will of his father, one will in God. And as man, he has a finite human will that while being an authentic human will is perfectly in sync with and in submission to the divine will. This is a great mystery beyond our experience and beyond our understanding and beyond what we can ever know as mere humans. And it should lead us to want to worship God. God. It should lead us to want to worship Jesus. Because Jesus is beyond our conception. I'll tell you how I feel whenever I encounter this sort of stuff. Awe. Ah. Awe. Ah. I'm thankful when I read various scriptural texts and I see how the scriptures have no problem keeping two things that seem contradictory, keeping them together without confusing them or changing them or dividing them or separating them, these seemingly contradictory truths are held together by the scripture. They're not contradictory. They're just deeper than my understanding. And so every time I press up on the limits of my understanding and I realize that Jesus, that God, Father, Son, and Spirit is beyond my ability to understand, every time I get to that place where I realize I can't comprehend but Jesus is greater, I'm filled with awe and worship for our glorious and great God. And Jesus, as truly God, and truly human, has two natures, two wills, and one person. And as such, Jesus has uh, both a divine will that is the same as the will of the Father, and a human will, which is distinct and yet always in submission to the will of the Father. My goodness. I'm sure that that just clears it all up for everybody. I'm sure you're like, well, why didn't you say it that way right at first? That's so simple, I've got it going to talk about it with my kids. Your kids might have it better than you do. I, I, it, it's, uh, it's one of those things that is, is simple and complex. And One of the things that I just want to say, because I've got a little bit more time, is that the church has actually wrestled with and struggled with this stuff mightily, just mightily. This has been some of the, the places where there have been the greatest battles, and this is some of the stuff that I love reading about in the church. And so I just want to run through with you some of this stuff. And I hope, I hope we can have our minds blown together. Because this is great stuff. Because this is a very confusing thing for us. We can't comprehend the fullness of it. The church has had a hard time understanding, well, just who is this Jesus that we worship? How can we understand? And there were great, great numbers of false teachings that arose to try to explain who Jesus is. Let me tell you about some of them. The first one that arose was a false teaching that was called Gnosticism. Look at that, Gnosticism. Gnosis is the Greek word for knowledge. This is one of the first false teachings that arose about the Lord Jesus Christ. What Gnosticism said is that Jesus just appeared to be a human being. He was just, he was a ghost in actuality, is what some Gnostic teachers said. That just appeared to be human, but he was actually only divine. Or some Gnostic teachers said, actually what happened was that there was this man, Jesus of Nazareth, and at his birth, God the Father got a hold of him. And, and had him in his grasp and, and, and operated him like a puppet Or like a robot to do whatever he wanted And he did this throughout this man Jesus of Nazareth his whole life Except on the cross he left him And that's why the Gnostics would say That's why he cried out my God my God Why have you forsaken me Because God had controlled him and then had left him That's not what happened That's not what the Bible says Right And so the church, you can this is one of the things that is attacked very directly by a lot of the apostolic writers. In in the book of 1 John, in the book of 1 John, the book starts by this: that which we have seen, that which we have looked at, that which we have touched, that which our ears have heard concerning the word of Christ. And so what the apostles are saying is, no, 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 this is not somebody who appears to be a person. This is somebody who is who really is a human being and really is God.